Bang bang, what is up you guys? Welcome to this very special edition of Scrum's Family Video. I'm of course Scrump, and for those of you who didn't listen to the uh, Monday's episode or haven't gotten the chance to listen to Monday's episode, uh, this is a free uh, episode of Scrum's Family Video in which myself and Kate from Montreal, Post Wrestling's very own, uh, sit down and, and talk Better Call Saul. This is our Better Call Saul retrospective Um you know, for, for those of you who aren't members of the Patreon, this is just sort of what I do over there weekly with, you know, different guests, uh, friends of the show, patrons of the show, just all sorts of people. So uh, go ahead and check this out. And if you if you like what you hear, uh, go ahead and sign on over. You can sign up for as low as five bucks, you know, gets you. We've done, I think, possibly i don't know somewhere between 50 and 100 movie reviews honestly at this point some tv shows in there as well uh but you can sign up for that over at uh, patreon.com forward slash pwtcast uh but without any further ado uh this week's episode of scrum's family video featuring kate from montreal in which we talk better call saul Bang bang, what is up you guys? Welcome to this very special edition of Scrum's Family Video. I'm of course Scrump, and if you guys have been listening to the podcast last few weeks, or if you've been unfortunate enough to have to work with me and uh, listen to me talk nonstop about this, uh, I've gone down a Better Call Saul hole. I loved Breaking Bad. And Better Call Saul was one of those shows where I was just like, I'll, I'll get around to it because you go into Breaking Bad or you come out of Breaking Bad and you're like, they're doing a spinoff on like the the weird comedy character played by Bob Odenkirk. Like, oh boy, can't wait to, you know, get into that because you never, you know, even myself, I didn't go into it thinking this is going to be one of the most beautiful arcs of of of, of the, the character redemption a beautiful love story you know peter gould could write romeo and juliet any day of the week william shakespeare could not write the love story of of jimmy mcgill and kim and you know again it, it was it was one of those shows where i was just like i'll catch up to it i'll i'll watch it eventually and then i find myself just binge watching the entire thing you know they're like we're going on the the mid-season hiatus if you guys want to catch up now do it and I said, all right, AMC, I'll, I'll take you up on that. And again, I'm like, all right, it's, you know, I'll maybe catch up by the time. Two weeks, two, three weeks tops maybe before I just binge watch the entire show. And then I had the unfortunate, uh, you know, scenario in which now I'm stuck in the 90s again, where I have to wait for weekly television. And I'm just like, oh, please, like AMC, I'll, I'll give you some more money. Just, you know, just tell me what happens in the next episode, you know? And, uh, again, th- thankfully it was worth the wait, you know, sat through the, the lat, the next, whatever, five, six episodes that it was. And I've just been wanting to talk about it nonstop. And one of my favorite things is because of wrestling, you make so many ad- wrestling adjacent friends, so many people that think like you um, or don't think like you. And that's why you like their perspective on wrestling and things like that. But even better than that is when uh, you guys have outside interests, you know, like the the episode this week would have been myself and Braden Harrington on the main podcast. And if you listen to that. Clearly, there's more than just wrestling that sort of bonds us together. Well, what of you know the things that came out of uh, this was if you're if you're on Twitter on a Monday night, most people are tweeting about whatever Veer Mahan is doing or whatever Finn Balor is doing. 
Well, there was one person that had very similar tweets to myself in that they were also tweeting, you know, about Better Call Saul. And one one of my favorite things about Better Call Saul is that, you know, and as much as it brings back, you know, the Mikes, the Gus, the characters you're familiar with is they also introduce uh, the character of Kim Wexler, who's this very strong, very opinionated woman that like, you know, it's whenever whenever she's involved in a scene, you're like, I got I got to pay attention to this. And uh, very similar is that uh, whenever John Pollock, you know, whenever or, or waiting, whenever they need a, a guest co-host for usually Smackdown and Rampage, you know, they bring in their very own Kim Wexler in the form of Kate from Montreal. <laughs> oh. So when, when I needed, you know, when I needed a, a co-host to sit down and talk some better call saw with me, I said, I'm going to call the uh, Kim Wexler of the, of the post wrestling universe. Uh, if, you know, if you are already aren't, you know, uh, familiarize, familiarize yourself with her work over at post wrestling. You know, she, as much as uh you know her her tag is she rants about wrestling she has a lot of fun and interesting things to say about wrestling and she's gonna have a lot of fun and interesting things to say today about better call saw ladies and gentlemen kate from montreal kate how are you doing hello thank you so much for having me on here it much like you this is a series i've gotten so wrapped up in and uh, i basically uh, I'm, I'm on twitter a lot ranting about wrestling and yeah just the, the last several weeks i've tried to make it very clear it's like okay you know i'll cover raw maybe at the beginning and maybe at the end the middle that's better call salt time i will not be paying attention to wrestling i will just be entirely wrapped up in the world of uh, jimmy mcgill saul goodman gene takovich and kim wexler and uh all of the uh, gus ring mike ermantard all of the the people who we uh we have grown to to love and uh, whose stories we're so deeply vested in. Before we get into Better Call Saul, what was sort of like your history with Breaking Bad? Because of course, you know, Breaking Bad is, you know, like what sets all this off in motion. And like, and I keep because like I mentioned to you, I'm rewatching and I keep forgetting that Breaking Bad is just set within two years. You know, like so much yeah. happens in those two years. But like, what was sort of your history with Breaking Bad? Uh, I actually, I certainly remember when it was on, uh, I didn't necessarily get into watching it while it was live, if you will. Uh, I heard a lot about it. It was one of those things like, yeah, okay. I I think that this premise sounds, uh, very, it sounds very interesting. I like it. It's a good hook. Just didn't get around to it. And then, um, I'm the, one of the things that I do aside from watching wrestling and hanging out too much on Twitter. I am a writer. And a friend of mine says, like, if you're a writer, you need to watch this series. It's like the, the, the quality of the writing is phenomenal. And so I, um, I, I started watching it and yeah, the, the connection was immediate. It was just, um, I, I immediately felt compelled to, to, to watch everything else. And I was lucky in that I started watching it, not that long after the series ended, but that meant that I was able to binge watch literally every part of it because um, everything uh, everything had come out on uh, was available either through streaming or, or on DVD uh, when uh, when I was ready to watch it. So that was nice. The end of Better Call Saul is the only time during this entire epic that I was actually forced to go week to week, as you were saying. Uh, that was a that was a new experience for me patience not my strong suit very much the same and especially too because like again like 
I enjoy Breaking Bad as well. Like much like yourself, I sort of just waited. Like I, I, I think I watched like the first maybe two seasons um, as they were just coming out, and then it was like, all right, I'll wait. But then you know, then mm-hmm. Breaking Bad happens. Then it is you know everyone's talking about it, and it is a whole thing. Everyone's has a Poyos Hermano T-shirt. I don't understand the reference. I was like, where is this restaurant, and wh- how good is the food? And they're like, no, 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 Blue Math, and I'm like what you know so you sort of like you watch the show and again bob odenkirk you know to me again he, he's the comedic relief for the most part you know and what was interesting to me was when it's like oh yeah no it's his own spinoff but also the characters of mike the characters of gus two mm-hmm. other characters that we ultimately know their fate but they're like we're going to explore a little bit more about them and and who they are and things like that and again like the the beauty of of better call saw to me is the fact that you know they they specifically with bob odenkirk it's like he's essentially playing three different characters you know he is jimmy mcgill saul goodman and gene takovic and they're able to like weave these three stories and 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 tell it all through you know five seasons or six seasons and like i you know my opinions like from beginning to middle to end it's like it's a home run you know like we may be mm-hmm. jumping a little bit ahead but like again the, the the series would have just ended and one of the biggest topics was how are they going to pull it off are they going to stick the landing like what can they possibly do because of the, the number of ways you could have gone you know like of course everyone wants him to get away you know and some people are like no he he has to he has to go to jail or maybe he's gonna die and like how how did you feel about the 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 ending of of this show like was it something you were left wanting more of or were you like yes perfect you, you the bow is on there I, and it is good i will say okay i'm going to i'm going to sort of separate the ending from the final episode because i have slightly different feelings about both i thought the actual ending was was excellent i thought yes i did want him to to get away with it but just knowing the way that they've structured the the breaking bad universe where the characters do generally face the consequences of their own actions in one way or another in order to maintain that you he did have to end up in jail uh if not dead i i was thinking i was thinking jail was more likely but um i think i was more uh, wondering what was going to happen to Kim, who was in a position much more like that of Jesse in Breaking Bad, where they're sort of suffering, they're sort of suffering from their their own actions within the story anyway. Like they are much more morally conflicted about what they've done than, say, Walt or Saul. So uh, I think that they they left the ending appropriately ambiguous with uh, with her where she could still be facing the, this uh, this future of like lawsuits and and uh, legal actions against her but you know she's not she's not dead she's not in prison and that in itself is something so I thought that yeah they actually did hit a perfect balance and one that was in keeping with the sort of rules or guidelines that they had established for the rest of the the universe like it made sense in terms of what happened to the other characters. Oh no, definitely because, like, yeah, like you mentioned, it's it was I think best case scenario for everyone involved because again, like Saul Goodman, Jimmy McGill, you know, whatever you want to call him, the only person that could walk in saying and these where they're saying you are facing a hundred and ninety years of jail time, 
he is the only person who could su- successfully bring it down to seven and mm-hmm. a half. Who, mm-hmm. and on top of everything else, you're going to bring me my pint of mint chocolate chip ice cream every week. Like it was one of those, you 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 know how good of a lawyer he is. You know it's, mm-hmm. and I think that's one of the one one of the the beautiful things about the show is that you see that like he did not want to be Saul Goodman. You know, it was, he want, he wanted the approval of, you know, of Hamlin and his brother so bad. Like he, he, he left, you know, slipping Jimmy behind so that he could try to become mm-hmm. a real lawyer. But it's just through circumstances through like, it's, it's almost his hand is forced to become the shyster. But like at his mm-hmm. core, he knows how to talk his way out of a situation. And like when the U S government is breathing down your neck saying like, you are getting these consecutive life sentences first off to see that he was able to talk them down to seven and a half i was like you know what mm-hmm. you don't even have to get into the the nitty-gritty of it i believe this show has done such a good job at showing me how this man can talk himself out of everything that like i i believe it you know well it and you have that wonderful the the monologue that he does about how scared he was where he's playing and it, it harkens back to the, the scene where he's applying to get his law license back, where he's giving this incredibly sincere seeming speech about his feelings about his brother. And then you see right afterwards, he just shakes it off. It's like, oh, wow, can you believe they bought, they, they bought that? As I was so good. And that there was nothing sincere about it. And so, he, and it's the same sort of presentation where he's giving this extremely realistic, factual account of what happened and talking about how how he felt. And then immediately you get the turn at the end. It's like, you know, oh, you think you can convince a, a jury of that? Uh, of that? I just need one. I, I, it's this brilliant character presentation where for the time that he's talking, you are completely, a, you're completely hamstrung. You don't know if he's being sincere or not because they've given you enough of a basis in his character to think that he might be sincere, but you also also given you more than enough to suspect that he absolutely isn't. And so in both of these cases, he sort of flips it around like, no, it's, it's not sincerity. Yeah. And again, like, I think that's part of the beauty of, you know, we, we've seen him, we've seen these two different versions of him that he's introduced because you, you go into it almost sort of like, all right, who, you know, like while we are in the Gene Takovic timeline of, of this now, which again, another thing that they pulled off that like, I didn't, I 100% thought like, ooh, people are going to complain like it's it's in all black and white, like, oh, that's not how I want to consume my television. And I, I don't know about you, I saw nobody complaining you know, and I think it's because that was the that was the way that they sort of separated every single one of these timelines that like it worked. It, you know, it worked. Mm-hmm. I think, too, there's a, a sort of, I guess, a, a thematic reason why the bits with Gene should be in black and white when you're talking about sort of having color drained out of life. Like there is very there, that is very much a a factor in terms of the presentation he is living this very sort of drab colorless life in omaha managing a cinnabon man cinnabon have been on a run lately yeah you and i talk I, <laughs> between this if you're a better call Saul fan and a wrestling fan like cinnabon is your jam this this summer they tweeted out they're like uh 
they're like better call Saul's over and Takeshita's back in Japan like what do we tweet about now mm-hmm. and I was like this is my multiverse of madness because this is the perfect Absolutely. crossover yeah. like you know like yeah like you and I talked like as they were going where they're like they're both tweeting about Takeshita and like Oh, it's better call so at the same time like crossing the streams yeah like what is going on like i i have not had a cinnabon god knows how long but the next time i am i am at a mall i am gonna go look for one for just you know like for the purposes of that you know that it's like you got 100 oh, percent. yeah yeah i have i'm not even sure they're not even terrifically common that i've seen they're not in every mall in montreal so it's like but i'm i'm literally thinking of like where can i go specific like where can i find a cinnabon because i'm not sure about downtown many there are but but it's gonna happen i'm going to track down the cinnabons what yeah because it's and and that's funny where it's like the marketing of you know like they're able to just successfully like a plus marketing guys yeah a plus marketing (laughs) with that the one thing that i always wish they which i know they do have like an actual pollos hermano like restaurant somewhere out in like uh albuquerque but i I believe it was like Sean Rossap who told me like the chicken, the food there isn't actually that good because mm-hmm. I remember like, again, when I would, and I'm rewatching it now, so it's probably going to happen, but like you're watching the show and you know, you see this delicious looking food and you're just like, Oh man. Mm-hmm. And I'm always like, I- Oh, every time. Yeah. Like it's just, but if I want, I want the chicken. The, the one that, that gets me is uh, also the, the Takaria in, um, in Better Call Saul, like watching the watching the 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 tacos and burritos being prepared in that place, it's like I want Mexican food. Oh yeah, well, you, you, <laughs> I want to eat what they're cooking. Like Lalo sitting there just making this food, and he's like, "Here, just try it, try it." And I'm like, "Hey, if Nacho doesn't want it, I'll fucking have it." It's, but then it's yeah. like, <laughs> yeah, and with me again because I would be binge watching these, it would be like, oh, you know what, I could go for that. And then I look at the clock, and it's like, oh, it's four in the morning nothing is open like i am i am better off like yeah trying to find a a 24-hour walmart or something and going to buy these ingredients like uh there's a show that that came out on hulu recently called the bear um very good but it it takes it's like a a a restaurant in chicago a lot of italian beefs almost every restaurant or every episode talking about italian beefs and i was talking about it with way where he was like, oh, I binge watched. I was like, me too, except the worst was binge watching it. And it's four in the morning. And I'm like, oh, I could go for an Italian beef sandwich. And it's like, well, mm-hmm. you better you better fucking wait till, you know, the afternoon because nothing is open right now. Um, you know, poor, you know, woe is me. But um, we so as we actually start just like bouncing everywhere around, um, like the one thing you know that I again that I do appreciate is them introducing the old characters in the form of of Mike and Gus because you know Gus I feel was was gets more of like more humanized in this in as much as like specifically <laughs> you know there's an episode where where he shows up to a bar you know and, and he's talking to the you know to the what is it like a summer I don't I don't know what his official title is sommelier or something mm, like that sommelier. yeah you know he's talking to this gentleman and you know just having a good time and just gets up and leaves and i was very confused like i remember being like left confused and then you know like listening to a podcast where they were like well no this is gus like it's it's never outright confirmed but like gus he he is a gay man you know like mm-hmm. the cartel and i think you you see a hint of that with when uh when he he sees this this friend of his die at the hands of the cartel in Breaking Bad, um, 
I, I kind of like that it's never expressly stated because that is again in keeping with the character. Gus is the kind of person who wouldn't make a big deal about this. He's not an open person, so why would he? Why would he be open about this? Yeah, like the most, the most like uh, like. I would say expli- like obvious thing that they would is, you know, when um, Mike is down in Mexico and he's like, oh yeah, I built this entire fountain for Max. And it's like, I don't know mm-hmm. about you. I'm not going to build, I'm not just going to build a, uh, this beautiful fountain, you know, remembrance piece for, for just a friend. Yeah. It's like for, for a friend and coworker, it's like, I, I've had some coworkers. i really i've really liked I'm, I'm not building a fountain for any of them like that's that's some special dedication and also the just the relentlessness with which he pursues revenge throughout two series um that is clearly uh there is a deep emotional driving force behind that and yeah i think that that's you could pick up on it and it doesn't need to be Right. It doesn't need to be right out there. You don't need the big emotional um, uh, sort of uh, what I always call these come to Jesus moments. Like a lot of a lot of uh, a lot of uh, movies and a lot of television will rely on having these big em- like emotional crux scenes. And I really like the fact that Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul avoid those, generally speaking. Yeah, because I mean, even with this, like again, the scene is done very beautifully. You know, he's sitting here enjoying, enjoying the conversation he's having with this man, and he's like, "Oh, you know what? I'm, give me one second. I'm gonna go pull out this like super cool line. You're you're gonna love it," mm-hmm. and then just leaves. And then you know, it's like again, once it was like more sort of explicitly stated to me, it's like, well, yeah, like he knows yeah. he can't do this. He can't he can't exactly. pursue any sort of relationship. Like this is, you know. This is a man who built a tunnel from underneath his house, you know, to, to the one across the street because he's so paranoid. He is so convinced that, you know, the Salamancas are going to come for him. They're going to, they, and he's right. Well, and rightly so. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> rightly so. But, you know, this is someone that's like, of course, you know, you, it's almost like uh, you, you see it like sometimes like in superhero movies where it's like, you know, Peter Parker, as much as, you know, a, a big part of his stories, he's going to chase Mary Jane like the minute they find out you're peter parker brother like yeah that's it you know yeah you you sacrifice certain things in order to be a certain type of person and yeah i think that gus in a way does perceive himself not as a superhero but as as someone doing almost superhuman things uh and who executes an extraordinary level of control over himself and everything around him Another character that we got to see fleshed out a little bit more was Mike. And of course, ever like I love Mike. Mike Ehrman Trout is I wish he was my grandpa, you know? Like he is just <laughs> such and again, it, it was it's like a bummer like cuz you sort of know, you know, his fate in Breaking Bad, but like you know, to see how guilty he felt, you know, for mm-hmm. you know, like there there's a scene in you know and then the last episode where they have there's the the conversations had three separate times about like a time machine what would you do if you go back Mm -hmm. in time and you know his thing is go back in time and and not take his first bribe as like that's sort of what leads him down this path and you know eventually leads to, to his son being killed and again like just seeing the lengths that he goes through and not only this but breaking bad to just sort of 
you know, make sure that his, his daughter-in-law and that his granddaughter will be okay. It's like, oh, wow. Like, you know, you are, you are genuinely a good person that sort of just, you know, you, 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 you flew too close to the sun and now, you know, like you, there's, there's nothing really you can do. Well, and, and someone who is trying to see the good things happen from the bad things that they've done, like he's very aware that he's done terrible things but he is ultimately trying to find a way to redeem that by uh, the, by putting the money that he earns to uh, to something worthwhile to you know his his granddaughter to trying to make up for the fact that he's uh, he is in large measure responsible for the fact that she's going to grow up without a father and that uh, her mother now has to to be a single parent. It is. It, it's sad to think of, particularly because throughout, as you see this relationship uh, evolve and better call Saul, you're also aware that he fails at this because, you know, at the end of Breaking Bad, that uh, his his money, what he's managed to save up for her is taken away. So this never, you know, this is never going to come to fruition, whatever, uh, whatever, the uh, the daughter-in-law and Kaylee have at the at the last time we see them in Breaking Bad. That's all they're ever getting, and they're never going to get like a. He's just going to disappear on them, which is sad. Uh, so yeah, it, it ends. It, it lends this. Um, it it lends this element of pathos to the entire character that I think helps with the uh, the development and adds this. Uh, although he's very sympathetic in Breaking Bad, this this element of sadness behind the character is, is very much emphasized and gives a different dimension to that in, uh, in Better Call Saul. The, the scene that gets me is the, the one where you see him speak to Nacho's father after, and I think that that is, that's a watershed moment because in a way it actually, it almost diminishes Mike a bit because he's so what he's saying, it is very hollow and everything that the, that uh, Mr. Varga is saying is absolutely on the, on the nose. Like this is just, it's a, it's a useless cycle. It doesn't go anywhere. You can try to present yourself as something different, but are you really? So I think that that, uh, that's a, it's a gutting scene and uh, one that, that's the one that uh, sticks with me even more so than the, the one in the final episode. Yeah, because there is, I believe the line is he says something like, you know, like we're gonna get justice, or and he's just like, like, mm-hmm. like, oh, that, like, that's what you call justice, like, um, and and we'll talk about Nacho right now because he is Michael Mondo, just a, an amazing actor, but Nacho's dad also one that like I like that he that despite everything that happened, like he's just, he's like, no, this is who I am, and like, you know, I'm putting my foot down, and even when you know, like my son is gone and uh, like all the, all, all the circumstances as much as like he, you know, he can sort of just like, Oh, okay. Thank you. You're going to get like, no, he doesn't have this. Like, yes, please go get revenge for my son. It's like, no, like this is stupid. What are you guys doing? What are we all doing? Like, this isn't, this isn't how you get justice. And like you mentioned, it's sort of Mike's almost put in a position where like, yeah, no, you're right. Like, there's there's mm-hmm. nothing I can say. You can't that's respond gonna, to that. No, and and you almost feel for Mike because you know he knows what it's like to to lose a son, and 
you know, he's doing this out of, you know, out of obligation. And it's like th- nothing. Mm-hmm. Mike could have sat there for 24 hours and, and thought of, for a week, and thought of what to say. But it's like no matter what you said, no, Nacho's dad was never going to be like, oh, okay, thank you, Mr. Yep. And Trout. Like, it's just, it's, yeah. I think that he's he is this very fatalistic character where he kind of knows where all of this leads. And again, I like the fact that they don't go super emotional with the presentation. You don't really see him like pleading and begging with his son. He tries to convince him to to leave, but there's also this sense of, you know, once you get into this to a certain level, you're not getting out and it's just a cycle that perpetuates itself and he gets that and it's sad the character though of of nacho though he was one that i was like please find a way to to keep him alive you know have him have Mm -hmm. him disappear have something because you know Again, another character who gets he gets trapped in this web of of being associated with the Salamancas, you know, like mm-hmm. he very you know it's I forget at, at what point exactly, but it's you know he he has his coming of like this coming of Jesus moment where it's like I don't want to do this anymore. And the thing mm-hmm. with and I I mean based on movies and and books and things like that because I've never been involved with you know the the drug trade but like i don't necessarily <laughs> think it's as easy as like hey guys if it's all cool with everyone like i'm gonna just go work mm-hmm. at my dad's uh you know upholstery shop now and yeah uh, I'm, I'm putting in my two weeks notice yeah it's not quite this yeah same. yeah hey uh you know uh hector yeah i'm putting in my two weeks it was great you don't you don't have to throw me a retirement party it's fine uh mm-hmm. and again and he gets you know he he's put in that position where you know and he, he's he not only is he going to ultimately wind up the fall guy, you know, for Gus, but it's like what there, there was no, there was no saving of that character. You know, it was like some, someone needed to be the fall guy. And it was just very unfortunate that it was him because like, again, very like, this is not something he wanted to do. And it just kept, you know, it was sort of just the ball kept rolling. It kept snowballing and snowballing to the point where it's like, is this how you want to live? You want to live in this large, you know, very museum-like house with these two, like, these, you know, with these two women who are just using you for your money and drugs? Like, I can't mm-hmm. imagine this is a life that you that you genuinely, you know, come home to and go, ah, okay, like, time to relax. Well, and he doesn't ever seem happy. I think that he seems... Um there's something about this life that it uh, allows him to to use his brains. Like he's a smart guy, and uh, he this is a, a business where he can get an immediate reward for using his brain and being effective in what he does. I think a lot of the uh, the story in in Breaking Bad and in Better Call Saul, the, the there is. A, a very subtle condemnation of a world in which you have very smart, capable people who are only able to make the most of their their capabilities and their brains in illegal ways. Like they, a lot of these characters are very bright, and they have all of the qualities that are supposed to uh, allow someone to be successful. But the only way in which they can be successful is in a criminal underground or at least by bending the rules of what they do pretty severely, like in the case of Jimmy, when they try to 
do things the right way, they just end up getting squashed, like Jimmy early on, or Walt being a high school teacher, or the, like you see it again and again. And and I put Nacho in this mold; like he's very good at, uh, you know, he he figures out how to do his little side hustle to go, and he's successful within the the Salamanca business. But you'd like to think, oh, well, what if he applied this in a, a non-drug context? It's like it probably wouldn't work out. He'd probably end up just being a, a line worker in his father's shop and that would actually be that would be a waste of his talents yeah because you know it's like I, he, he clearly enjoys being you know around his father and, and and doing that but again like it's like that is only going to take him so far like you know the, the the character you know of of uh of of, of nacho like clearly has better and more ambitions but again it's like it's almost like is is the reward worth the risk because you know you can mm-hmm. attain those things as a matter of fact that you know you attain those things it's like but at what cost because mm-hmm. you know like even yeah. when his father shows up it's like he's embarrassed like you know like instead of just like oh you know hey check out my house everything is so beautiful like he's clearly embarrassed of like how ostentatious, you know, this presentation mm-hmm. is because it's like, this isn't you like, you know, yeah. this is not, you are putting, this is a front for this lifestyle that you're, that you need to now live because of again, how deep in with like the Salamancas that you are. And, you know, it's, that was also, that was one of those like big things where it's like, all right, so he's clearly not going to make it out. Like how, you know, how do you go out and like, how, how do you ultimately feel about, uh, his death? You know, how, you know, we're, we're left to say goodbye to, to Nacho. Absolutely phenomenal. Like one of the best moments in either series. I think that that scene, um, and particularly like you kind of, you see Mike in the distance kind of rooting for him, wanting him to, to kill Bolsa. Uh, I thought that it was so well handled and it's such a good ending for that character that someone who has just the entire series been uh, kind of trapped in circumstances beyond his control. He didn't, you know, the, the Salamanca's wanting to involve his father, which he didn't want, but they wouldn't listen to him, and then falling under Gus's control and really having no agency at all in his, the kind of destruction of his own life, finally in his very last moment gets to assert some agency i thought that it was just perfect for the the character arc and very obviously very sad but uh so well crafted michael mondo is one of those actors where i'm like i want to see more of you like he like i mm-hmm. I, I remember like after that episode that i saw like where he dies i was like he is such an amazing actor i was like and it, like he was introduced in like that first spider-man movie like he is like he's introduced in that he is the who if they're smart will go on to play the character of like scorpion and i'm just like you're sitting on you're just sitting on this guy who could mm-hmm. just chew up the scenery like please like kevin feige can we please do something with him because he's there you got him in the reserves and like you know well and i think now at this point he has some cultural capital behind him people would pay attention mm-hmm. if it, if they knew it was him who who uh, who was playing a specific role? A local boy, by the way. He's he's from Montreal. Really? Yes. Um, I, I don't know that he was born here, but he certainly like uh, he he lived here for uh, a good chunk of his life, and he was educated here. 
Oh, well, there, yeah, yeah there you go. The, the boy, you know, um, someone mm-hmm. who he's done actually, he's done a video game work. There's a lot, there's a the fairly heavy concentration of video game, of uh, video game companies here in Montreal. And I think he's done sort of sub work just being the kind of the, the actor figure for, uh, for motion capture. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. I, I mean, I wasn't, again, mm-hmm. like someone who I was just introduced through this and, someone else that we've mentioned before that I was introduced to prior to this via the, the Hawkeye TV series was Tony Dalton, who of course plays mm. Lalo Salamanca. And like mm-hmm. a, a buddy of mine was like, because as I was catching up and he was fully caught up, he was like, have you met Lalo yet? Have you met Lalo yet? And I was like, mm. no, I'm like, I, I maybe I was like, who is? And he was like, no, once you get to him, you'll know who, who he is. <laughs> you'll know when it happens, you'll know. Yeah. And you know, and I, and again, I was familiarized with the, with, the actor tony dalton through the hawkeye uh marvel tv series and even then he wasn't a major role in that but every time he was on screen very charismatic very like you know sort of stole the stole whatever scenes he was in and i was like you know what this is a very fun guy like hopefully they bring him back for a season two then mm-hmm. i'm introduced to the joker incarnate lalo salamanca kate how <laughs> What are some of your thoughts on the character of Lalo Salamanca? I, I had, like you, I had heard about uh, this guy coming in like, oh, well, this character, like, he really, like, it definitely, like, of all of the Salamancas, this is the guy that's going to really leave the impression, which is saying something, because it's not like the others haven't been memorable. But yeah, just from the very first second you see him in the kitchen just sort of standing there like he owns the place which i guess in a way he does um it just you know he's walked in claimed the place as his own cooking food in the kitchen and just like my name is eduardo you can call me lala like he just immediately has this this presence that is very difficult to to come by uh and you know immediately that this is someone who you have to pay attention to. Now, yes, it's it's the scene is constructed so that you know this is an important introduction. But yeah, his uh, as I said, his presence, uh, the the way that he just takes up the screen is remarkable. And yeah, you find yourself he is immediately uh, an existential threat to to. Gus, even though you know Gus is going to make it out, but he is immediately this existential threat to Gus, to Nacho, to Mike, to all this. Like, you know that he is someone who is capable of bringing them out. And this is, uh, we're sort of speaking earlier about um, what you know versus what you feel in the moment. And you know that Mike, that Gus, uh, that that Saul, that all of these people, that they're going to make it out of this series because you know perfectly well that they make it into Breaking Bad. But at the same time, you get very caught up in the moment thinking, oh my God, what's going to happen to them? And that a lot of the credit for that is uh, Tony Dalton's performance is just so good. Um, yeah, just and it exerts such a huge presence over the, the series. You kind of forget that it's like the middle of third season before he even shows up. Yeah, and he very much has this like, uh like terminator quality about him because you know like when he has his mindset on this is what i'm going to do he doesn't care who he kills he doesn't care what crimes he commits in the middle of broad daylight like does 
does not care. You know, it's like he will do it. One of the more like haunting scenes to me was because um, you know they go down to his compound in Mexico and you see him, you know, interacting with everyone, and you know you have uh, the people show up. They're they're there to kill him, and of course, you know, he gets away. He you know he he makes it out alive. And then he shows up to this farm and, you know, it's like, oh, okay, like how nice of him, you know. And, of course, everyone in this village knows who he is. You know, he is he is the cartel. Everyone knows who he is. They have high reverence and respect for him. And, you know, he, he sees this, this. Well, but he's also sort of benevolent that he, he does well by these people. They they uh, they respect him because he's been good to them. Good enough, Kate, that, you know, there was this man with these dental issues and fully replaced all his teeth says how are your teeth doing mm-hmm. are they still all there good and then you know kills kills them brings again it was again it was one of those things where i was like why is he killing these strangers this man was again one step ahead so far enough to where you know make sure that these dental records would line up so he could successfully fake his death because at this point everyone's like there's this ghost the ghost of lalo salamanca mm-hmm. is coming for us and everyone's like no, he is dead. They the the you know the records match up. Dental records match up. You know, and even like it's what it was like where Gus is just like nope, nope, nope. Like I I know, and again, based on the character that we've met, how again he is just this benevolent force that is going to do whatever he wants. Like I never at one point I was never like come on, you know he's dead. Like no, I would if I am in that universe as well, I will also be very much like nope the odds of him showing up into my just walking into my apartment and and shooting someone in the head like he does are you know it's believable and yeah yeah i think uh lalo it's interesting because he there's a certain amount to this with gus as well where the series are very realistic in a way but with lalo there's this subtle presentation of him as almost being superhuman and it's the same with gus they're able to you know gus is so perceptive and he is able to sort of see things see things far beyond the the present moment lalo like when he kills the guy at the money transfer station he just sort of disappears up into the uh, 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 up into the ceiling of this uh, of this business, uh, you know, when he's over in Germany, just sort of how he fi- how he finds these people, like sneaking uh, sneaking around in the woods and whatever. There is something that is almost superhuman about that, but it's handled deftly enough that uh, that you buy into it. And yeah, the, the he and Gus make extremely good. Uh, enemies, extremely good opponents uh, for each other. Yeah, like specifically when he is in Germany, that was that was one of those. It's like, had it been any other character, would have been like, well, how did you find the widow? How do you find these people in mm-hmm. the middle of the woods? But because because you know we are shown how meticulous, like again, another very smart person that should be using these powers. For something better like you know providing mm-hmm. dental care and, and and you know infrastructure to this small you know village of yours that surrounds mm-hmm. your giant compound at the same time this guy's just using those resources to like not only is he a, a criminal that like they are looking for you dude like they are how you're traveling across international you know borders mm-hmm. sure you can pull that off i know you pull it off not only that but it's like then they are looking for i'm gonna come right back to albuquerque where you know they know mm-hmm. that i'm full of shit yep. like 
you know, the minute they're like, we're going to set your bail at what? $7 million and goes, okay, here you go. Yeah, okay. I can do like, that. Yeah. Again, yeah, just one of those better scenes, and, and we'll get to his death in, in a little bit because there is another character, of course, that uh, joins him in you know in, in that grave of his, and uh, one of the newer characters we meet, of course, Patrick Fabian, who plays a character of Howard Hamlin. He's he's one of the partners of uh, Hamlin, Hamlin and McGill. You know the law firm that uh, Chuck, Jimmy's brother, Saul's brother, works at, and and that you know he's sort of in charge of, and. He is someone who, I, when we're first sort of introduced to him, I'm kind of like, ah, get this, get this smug idiot out of here. But like, you know, by the time, by the time we say goodbye to him, like, definitely someone who I was like, you feel for the guy again, just sort of wrong place, wrong mm-hmm. time. As Kim winds up talking about him, but um, how do you sort of feel about the character of uh, of Hamlin? Uh, I, I thought this is it, he's a great example of to me, and you can talk about you know which series you prefer between Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul. Well, I will say about Better Call Saul is the slow pace of the first couple of seasons allows for a level of very subtle character development that you don't necessarily get in Breaking Bad. That's not to say the characters aren't very well developed, but the peripheral characters don't get that same level of treatment. And I find that with Howard, you see, he is just the cliché big-time attorney who we're all conditioned to hate. Like, it's just a character that is a trope in uh, in, in modern crime stories that uh, immediately you're thinking, okay, this guy's an ass. And he is presented that way. He is this blowhard who, even when Jimmy is doing wrong, you kind of want to see him stick it to this guy. I find that there's a, a subtle shift introduced with him when you, uh, when they sort of try to freeze Jimmy out of the Sandpiper case, and you see him, he is the person tasked with doing it. He is the person, and he shows absolutely no regret. He he presents this very much with the same sort of smooth, slimy uh, uh, style that you see from him in every other instance, and then. When you see Kim confront him and he just, he tells her off for opening her mouth and then immediately you see him walk it back, like, no, no, come back here. And then, of course, what you find out is that it's not him driving this at all. It's Chuck trying to keep his brother out of the, the case because it's Chuck who doesn't like him. And then that goes back to why Jimmy wasn't hired. Um, I think that you get this, um, uh, you immediately get this sort of, uh, not exactly sympathy for him, but this understanding that he is not a shallow monster. There is more to him, but he feels like he needs to be this person. He needs to perform in a certain way in order to maintain his status within the company. He has his insecurities. And then that, as much as he is a foil and almost a, a comical foil, for him, uh, for uh, for Jim and and, uh, and Jimmy and Kim, uh, throughout the series, he's he's also sort of vulnerable himself. I definitely felt like because they don't touch too much on it, but they talk about like the the relationship between him and his father was a little tumultuous, and like I don't think his father mm-hmm. ever truly respected him, and I no. f- yeah, and and I feel like there's maybe some like I'm trying to win dad's approval. 
you know, by by sucking up to Chuck because you know there are some times mm-hmm. where it's like he he can and should put his foot down, you know, with some of the things that that Chuck is trying to do, but again, just because of you know like he almost has to be the you know he has to be the bad guy he is in charge you know when you're in a position sometimes of being the one in charge you know you got to be the bad guy you got to be the asshole and mm-hmm. that is just the position that he sort of put in and you know like i i specifically remember there was like the scenes where they were showing the relationship with he and his wife and it's like mm-hmm. it, it brought me back to like uh, Anna Gunn and you know uh, um, what's his name Walter White I forget Brian Cranston. Brian Cranston you know it's like Brian Cranston. I, Brian Cranston I don't think it was them not having any on screen chemistry it's I felt they were both such great actors that they could convince mm-hmm. you that they have no on screen chemistry because it like I was just like wincing and, and cringing you know the whole scene mm-hmm. and you know they, they give you the 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 brief context of like there's some marital issues so you know Mm -hmm. that's what's going on but like you feel for the guy you know especially when uh, you know like he comes to jimmy like there's there's the one scene in particular one that i really love it's again with with him and jimmy where he keeps you know he's been offering them the job over and over and finally sort of like confronts him about it you know and jimmy has this huge rah-rah like you know this job is beneath me you don't know what i'm capable of and to Mm -hmm. me it's like I I know that the the amount of just like shit he had to eat internally to like all right I'm gonna offer him this job that he knows is just like a make good for like hey sorry about what happened with your brother like I don't want to work with him he doesn't want to work with me but my conscience will feel so much better if he just takes this job or even if he just outright says no and like you know for for jimmy to react the same way because you just you know you follow that scene and you you look at the look on his face and it's one of those like i knew it i knew i shouldn't have done it and i did it anyway and like again i i don't feel that much throughout this series that it's a lot hamlin is doing a lot of what hamlin wants to it's a lot of this is what i i have to do because of the position that i'm in yeah and this is you know i obviously someone who had it drilled into him very early, the kind of person that he was supposed to be. And that still affects him where he's sort of assuming that because, uh, because he has been successful at becoming the person who he was told he should be, that that somehow should mean he's happy and he's not like there is that sort of, so the, the, the sort of underlying sense that he envies Jimmy a bit for being much more the free spirit, much more the the person who doesn't feel hemmed in by the rules. Yeah, and you know, we ultimately see his fate of like where he winds up in, and you know, it, it's underneath the meth lab. You know, him and the bodies of he and Lalo, you know, wind up together underneath that, that meth lab. So as much as, you know, like, I, I think I made the joke it might've been on or prior, but it's like, you know, we're like, well, what happens to them? Where, where, where are they? And like, they're there. They're there the entire, for, you know, a, a few <laughs> seasons of breaking bad. We just, we don't really yeah. see them, but you know, it is tragic. Yes, you know? Yeah. They, they, I, they should go back in and re-edit it and like, you know, credit them as also being there. Just, you know, just for the people mm-hmm. to be like, where I didn't, I didn't see him. And it's like, he's there right underneath Gail's feet. 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, we ultimately we see, you know, his, his demise come at, at the end of Lalo and, you know, they, they fake his suicide and stuff like that. And to me, it was very interesting when, you know, again, at the end you see Kim, you know, she, she shows up, she confesses everything that happened and things like that. And, you know, clearly the wife has every right to be upset, you know, like this, this was her husband and things like that. But again, just another weird scene to me because I just never felt there was any chemistry between the two, you know, like, yeah, you're going to be upset if, if your partner mysteriously dies and, you know, you don't know what happened to them or like that. But I don't know. That was just one of those scenes where I was like, I don't know. Her, her affection for him after he dies seems really out of proportion considering what their relationship was like when he was alive. Like there is no sense that she, she doesn't seem emotionally connected to him at all uh, in the, the one scene where we see where they're both alive. Whereas she seems quite devastated by his death. And I can sort of understand that, you know, she, this is someone she cared about. This is someone she, uh, she was with for a long time. I do feel that there's a little bit of a step missing there with them where it's like, it's, it's an extreme where all of a sudden she is so almost obsessed with clearing his name as soon as he dies. Whereas she seemed to almost actively dislike him while, uh, while he was alive. Yeah. I would have, I, I would have liked a little bit more of a window into, uh, into what was going on. Yeah. There were like, I, shift. yeah, like I don't, I don't think we necessarily need to know like, Oh, what was the inciting incident that led to, you know, this weird relationship that they had going on. But yeah, like when, when she was as like gung ho about everything, you know, when, when Kim is telling her that was a little like, wait, huh? Mm-hmm. Like, oh, what's going on here? Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, it's like, and I, I think it only took one scene to establish the sort of icy relationship that she and Howard had while he was alive. It wouldn't have taken more than that to establish why she would have shifted so drastically between that and the next time we see her, which is at the funeral. Uh, yes. Um, another person that we you know we've, we've talked about a while for a while now is the character of Chuck, who, of course, is, you know, Jimmy's older brother. He He looks up to him. He wants to be just like him, but Chuck doesn't really want much of, if anything, to do with him, and 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 I feel for it. I feel for I feel for both of them because I can, you know, I'm I my my little brother's not a fuck up or anything like that, so I can't really relate about like, hey, I shouldn't, you know, I I've never gotten a call about him upper deckering anyone and me having to bail him out of jail, you know, but I can understand, you know, that like. <laughs> You know, it's like, let me do my thing and, and, and you sort of do, you know, your own thing, uh, relationship that the two have. But like, he was just, I, I think he was unfairly just mean to Jimmy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that it, this is a very complex relationship that they're showing here and that there is both the affection and the resentment at work and you, you see hints of it as to why you know where chuck was the the older sibling the one who did good and yet jimmy was always indulged like he's the baby and that's um i'm an only child so um 
not uh, not something I have a lot of experience with, but people I know who have siblings, that's a fairly common dynamic where the there is this the older child who has to work a lot harder to to get the their the respect and their due, and that they feel that the younger sibling is is often sort of the the coddled one, whether or not that's actually the case. Uh, and you do you do see that. Uh, I think that their relationship is very very well developed, and you understand what a sort of devastating impact Chuck has on Jimmy's character without with not intentionally, but that so much of the the heart is so so much of the of what goes wrong for Jimmy is driven by this relationship with his older brother. Yeah, and you know, and it's particularly like heartbreaking because you know, like in the last episode specifically, you know, you see Chuck, of course, he has uh, some sort of how, like how would you describe his condition like I've always had trouble sort of describing his condition to people because like it's it's clearly it's not something I don't want to say real I don't want to invalidate you know the but like it it's psychosomatic and the the thing about people who have psychosomatic illnesses is that while they don't um they don't necessarily, it's not the illness they think it is. The symptoms that they suffer are caused by what they think they are. And this gets worse when they have charlatans who are willing to feed this this uh, delusion that, you know, that they're allergic to electricity or that they have bugs living under their skin or whatever you hear. But these kind of things, there's different, there, there's uh, different conditions that are touted as having some basis in science that don't. The thing about psychosomatic illnesses is that the people who have them, they suffer terribly. You, it's, it's not that the fact that the root cause of the problem is not an, an allergy to electricity does not mean that those symptoms aren't real. It doesn't mean that he's not in pain. It doesn't mean that he's not suffering from severe anxiety. And you sort of see that when he finally gets in, t- in touch with this doctor who is able to work with him a bit, where clearly the techniques that she gives him are ones that are grounded in, thi- in, in things like behavioral therapy, which help him overcome, I think, the root anxiety at the, the basis of what he, what he perceives to be a physical ailment. I think that there's, there's certainly a commentary going on there about his, you know, him being the sort of old-fashioned, more stiffly formal person, he doesn't want to accept that what he has is a mental illness. He wants it to be a traditionally defined physical illness, and he clings to that idea that, no, I'm not, when he has his breakdown on the, the stand, very powerful scene, I'm not crazy. Uh, the, he, he embodies a lot of these more old-fashioned, traditional ideas, and one of those is that sickness means physical sickness not mental sickness yeah it's again like you mentioned like when he has the breakdown there or you know when he sort of like wraps his entire house in the you know in in this wrapping because he's like no 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 like it's oh it's getting worse that means i'm not doing enough i need to rip out every electrical circuit throughout the house Mm -hmm. like it's it's sad at a certain point which is also uh, which is also something he does as kind of a, a ruse to lure Jimmy in to make him feel because he knows that Jimmy will feel bad for him. Mm-hmm. And, and again, also sad because you see like there's 
there's an episode earlier and I forget which season it is, but you know, it's, they're celebrating the night that, you know, uh, that Jimmy, he, he, he's officially a lawyer. You know, he, I believe it's either he, he passes the bar winner. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, they're, they're singing karaoke and they're back at, uh, at Jimmy's place and they're both in bed and, you know, like just a, a very nice, sweet moment between these two brothers. And it's like, Oh buddy, just give it, you know, give it a year mm-hmm. or two. And, you know, the extent that Jimmy goes out of his way, out of to as uncomfortable as things are for him to have to, you know, at this guy's beck and call to I got to I got to bring him his bacon and his apples and, you know, refill his ice. And this is something, you know, that like he tells him we see it in the last scene where he's like, you don't have to do this for me. Like I can very much like at one point he does. He has someone from the firm come and do it for mm-hmm. him when he has Ernie come, you know, but he's like, you don't need to do this. And, you know, Jimmy just you're my big brother you do this for me and heartbreaking because it's like no like he no he wouldn't no he really wouldn't (laughs) yeah and you know it's when we get like to the end of the series and because again jimmy is someone who i think very much like he he is similar to chuck in that like we're not going to talk about our feelings you know feelings we're not Mm going to we're not going to talk about it's you know it's not something we do and it's something he should have like had he had he spoken you know aloud how he felt about like i caused my brother's death you know like Mm -hmm. it is my fault that he killed himself you know maybe we don't get as much of a saul goodman as saul goodman winds up being but you know that was that was one of the more those the more touching scenes you know where his you know, his counsel's like, dude, he goes, that wasn't even breaking the law. Why'd you mention that stuff about your brother? You know? Oh. And he's like, cause he needed to say it. He needed to get off his chest. Cause very, yeah. very reminiscent of, you know, like, uh, Kim is like, don't you feel bad? And he's kind of just, no, nah. like I don't, but it's like, no, yeah. it is eating you up. We know it's eating you up as, as the viewer, yeah. but, um, yeah, just that, that, that was one of those scenes where, you know, it uh, as much as it was a nice little sort of like, uh, bow tie on 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 chuck you know seeing him like yeah no i would do mm-hmm. this for you big brother i was like oh buddy mm-hmm. no you and to to chuck's credit he does not say oh yeah i'd do that for you like he no he wouldn't and he knows he wouldn't yeah um that is you know chuck has his his life he has his things that he he loves and yeah jimmy is more of a sort of an irritant to to whom he has he bears some affection um and I think, yeah, it's not that Chuck doesn't entirely hate Jimmy. He doesn't completely dismiss him. There is some sense of affection there, but it it doesn't go very deep. And I think the, the last words he says to him, you've never been that important to me. That's sadly on the nose. <laughs> and again, like a terrible thing to tell anyone, let alone, you know, mm-hmm. your your little brother who's, again bending over backwards just to make sure that you got you know your apples and your bacon and mm-hmm. you know all the necessities in your financial times exactly yes um well you know one of the last two characters we've sort of yet to really delve into though is the aforementioned kim wexler again if you would have told me that they're they're making a breaking bad spinoff that I, like I'm someone, I'm a hopeless romantic, you know. So if you would have been like, it is, it is a love story about Jimmy and Kim, like I would have been like, what? Aren't we gonna delve into like the shadiness of this, you know, of the criminal mm-hmm. lawyer? I, you know, I, I loved it. Like there's, 
there's this palpable connection be, or this tangible connection between these two but like they're and we see you know based on her backstory uh, the, the the few scenes we see with her mom like she's not she's not someone who's just outwardly going to to you know say i love you or talk about her feelings you know and as much as like these two live together they you know go to like these two are a couple an item whatever it is that you want to call them i don't ever hear her it's like my boyfriend you know very like very few times she actually says like my husband um they don't ever really like all right see you you know see you tomorrow love you nothing it's just it's this very weird like and yet it is there the amount that they care about each other is remarkable and you do feel it i think that it's sort of a, a, a it's sad that the idea of a romantic connection uh, or a, a sort of a romantic storyline has been so overdone and become so trite and so uh, so poorly executed so much in literature, in film, in TV, that immediately when you hear about, you know, a romance being one of the foundational storylines of a series, the inclination is to go like, oh, they're going to make it corny, as opposed to just thinking like, no, this is, this, this sort of emotional connection is still one of the most powerful things that people are going to feel in their entire life. And why wouldn't it be an important aspect to, uh, to this person's story? And it's such a relief to see one that is so well executed and that, that avoids a lot of the the traps that uh, second-rate romantic subplots or romantic plots have have fallen into. And she is just, you know, obviously um, as a woman, uh, I really appreciate the the presence of an incredibly well-drawn female character uh, who is herself. You know, yes, she is kind of his conscience. But she's able to function as his conscience because she also inhabits some gray areas. She is not like Chuck sort of talking down to him. She gets it and she knows that sometimes, you know, she knows that compromises are sometimes necessary and sometimes fun. <laughs> sometimes that's what makes life worth living when you do these sort of crazy stunts. When she, when she gets to be Giselle for an afternoon. Yeah, you know, like that is in as much as she should be, you know, sort of like the 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 voice of reason when it comes to jimmy it's like no we see that you know like the the fun in games that is something that she enjoys and the thing that i love the most about kim you know is how much she loves her job how much you know it's it's very much like this is this is something that she takes serious more serious than <laughs> jimmy and it almost bothers her to see like how much you know it's like not even not that Jimmy doesn't take it serious, you know, but it's like she he graduated from the online university of Samoa. You know, and it's like she they and they both busted their ass. Oh, land crabs. Yeah, they both came up, you know, from from the mail room, but like again, Jimmy is almost this, you know, this whimsical force that just sort of floats through and and gets by and no matter how much, you know, you hold them down, it's just going to float right back up and you know when you see her want to start and participate in these fun and games it's it's like all right let's do it your way like let's you know let me be giselle for an evening and and things like that and you know unfortunately it, it gets taken a little too far 
when they start messing with Hamlin and, you know, mm-hmm. she ultimately sees like what happens, but definitely. Yeah. Like in, in as much as like the love story, cause one of the things that she holds from Jimmy that she keeps from Jimmy is when Mike couldn't, you know, when Mike, when she confronts Mike and he tells her like Lalo is still out there, Lalo is coming for you. And mm-hmm. like, she knows, she know we all know how Jimmy is going to react, how paranoid, how just on edge he's going to be. And, you know, her trying to protect her, her husband, you know, her, mm-hmm. her partner doesn't say a word to him. And it's like, that is sort of who Kim is, you know, like she is going to put his, mm-hmm. his feelings before I, what she should be like, no, there is still this crazy, you know, cartel murderer who's going to come looking for us. And, um, I just, I, I, I do also feel for her once you see that, like, sort of, you mm-hmm. know, like you mentioned, one of the tropes of the show is people are facing the actions of their consequences or the consequences of their actions. And for her, unfortunately, it's this very mundane, like, life in Florida where, like, mm-hmm. this she is, puts herself in doc review forever. Yeah, like, <laughs> this isn't what, this isn't the life Kim should be living. Oh God! Yeah, the the life that Saul has, that that Jimmy has in jail, at the end of the series, seems so preferable to what she has in Florida. Like he, at least, you know, he's sort of hanging out with his boys. They're like fist bumping him. It's you know, yeah, of course, he like it's it's jail. It's unpleasant, but just this whole i think the fact that she is called upon in this life she has in florida to act as if this is something she wants is just painful like i i found myself just like balled up <laughs> like watching this because i, I it, it's so it it, it it just made me cringe uh physically watching this and so of course the 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 scenes with the boyfriend which are just oh like you're wondering, like, why are you? There is this sort of sense of of her punishing herself by just putting herself in a situation that is just everything this woman would hate. Um, and yeah, I, I I found that to be more pain to be more painful. Like at least, you know, Saul Jimmy does not have to pretend he likes being in prison. She is having to go through all of this. And she has to pretend that, yep, this is exactly the life I want. I, I love sitting here talking about, you know, the the curly fries at X chain restaurant or, you know, the, the that wonderful scene where they're talking about the, the colors of the deviled eggs in a scene that's in black and white. And just sort of talking about like, oh, you know, did I get this? Is it gold enough? Is it too yellow? Does it like does it show the the university colors? Well, it's just this this kind of these things that you know would absolutely be of no interest to this character and that she's kind of forced to play along to seem authentic on top of like we know how amazing she is at what she loves to do we know that Mm -hmm. she you know she should be you know like head of some firm somewhere because of how good of a lawyer that she is you know, to the point where, you know, where she was so good at her job that she was like, you know what, I'm bored. I'm going to go, I'm going to go do a bunch of pro bono cases, you know, like mm-hmm. simply because, and to see her like subjected to, you know, like it, you, it's it, when she's filling in like the description on this, uh, catalog, mm-hmm. you know, you see her sort of like putting in this very detailed, you know, thing about it and then sort of just 
backspace and whatever just quick and to the point thing it mm-hmm. is and that it's and that because again that is like that is kim that is who she is like she whatever it is yeah. that she's doing she's taking serious and mm-hmm. I, I love how you put it that's like at least jimmy he's happy in jail you know especially him being this celebrity of sorts but again speak about no chemistry her and her boyfriend just oh yeah just it's it it's almost there's something like there's something honestly a little disturbing about it because it's like this does not seem you know clearly it's consensual but it doesn't seem like i i, I think that it, after you've seen the relationship she has with jimmy it's so antithetical to that it's like this is not something you're enjoying and that makes it uncomfortable to to watch. I find with Kim, she occupies this interesting space between Chuck and Jimmy where she has Chuck's uh, ideals about justice and how the law should be there to, to help people and to make things better. You see that come out though more with her pro bono cases, whereas when she's working with uh, Hamlin, Hamlin McGill, or when she's working with, uh, I always get the, the name, it's uh, Stiker Coakley. S- uh, Stoker. Yeah. Yeah. Coakley, yeah. The other one. <laughs> the other one. Uh, where she's extremely skillful and she can get stuff done, but it's not morally uplifting work like the joke that jimmy makes it's like yeah we managed to to pull this whole scam so that your uh your client could make the lobby of their bank 13 percent larger and yeah so you get that sort of conflict where she can succeed within the world of uh like i guess high law of the the big law firms but that's not she unlike chuck seems to realize that that's not what justice is about. And she's really driven, you know, her interest in law is an interest in justice. She wants to help the people who need it. And so, yeah, she she occupies this sort of tenuous middle ground and it's she isn't really sure what she, like which side she's going to fall on. And, and as a result, view, viewers aren't sure which side she's going to fall on. I think that it's telling that when they are, planning their whole uh the their whole adventure to take down howard and get him to settle the sandpiper case what is it that she wants to do with the money she wants to start a a pro bono practice something would be completely impossible something is completely unfeasible if you didn't have just like this big chunk of seed money where she just wants to be able to set up an office where she can help people who can't afford it but who need it and I think it's easy to forget that because of how wrong things go and how sort of petty and and mean-spirited some of their uh, pranks are, that there is something about her motivation that is not selfish. She does want to get somewhere good. It's just that she can't get there playing, again, playing to go back to the idea of playing within the rules. Yeah, it's, again, kind of like like Nacho, finds herself in this position where it's like, I'm in too deep now. And like, again, mm-hmm. once everything happens with Howard, like, you know, there, there's a scene where, where her and Jimmy, they're just sitting on the edge of the bed. You know, Mike is cleaning up. He's sort of, this is what you're going to do. This is how you're going to go mm-hmm. about it. And this is how the three of us adjacently are going forward with this. And that is that, you know, and like, it's, she shook, 
She, you know, this is mm-hmm. this is now you you cause you know you cause inadvertently cause the death of someone who was a friend at some point, a colleague of of someone that you mm-hmm. know of, someone mm-hmm. who not only do you know him, you know his wife, you know his friends, you know everyone, you know that mm-hmm. this man is going to disappear and everyone's gonna you know wonder what happened oh my god like where did he go and you can't say his reputation is going to be destroyed largely because of things that they put in motion because that's what mike says it's like okay there's going to be some drugs found there people are going to assume that he's been having drug problems you know basically thanks for laying the groundwork for that you made my job easier Mm -hmm. um and yeah that you see that there is this this moment of crisis where there's something very different between the sort of pranks and kind of gamesmanship that they've been engaged in and having someone shot in the head in front of you. Like the, there is this, the, obviously this is a, a, a very, uh, a, a watershed moment for, for both of them. And, and uh, Kim and Jimmy react to it very, very differently. Yeah. Like, cause that, you know, in that particular episode, it's so heartbreaking because, you know, we, we see, you know, she, she, quits being a lawyer she's packing up her bags uh-huh. she's leaving and you know jimmy very much in a fight or fight situation in which you know like this is the woman that he loves he tells her this is the first time we hear you know he's like i love you please yeah. don't leave you know and, and she says mm-hmm. i love you too but like that's not enough but and, so what yeah but yeah. so what and broke my heart broke my heart when i saw it because uh-huh. you know immediately from that we see saul goodman and, it, and then it sort of yeah. makes sense. It goes, okay. Yeah. Not- yeah. This was, because yeah, that's the, that is the whole, that is the, the driving question of the show. How does this guy who's sort of just like a, a small town shyster, like a, a con, like a, a, a sort of low grade con man, how does he go from that to being Saul Goodman, who is this caricature when we meet him in uh, Breaking Bad. And you understand now, like, it's it's actually important that he is a caricature because he is playing uh, a sort of made-up role of someone who is not fully human. And you see hints in Breaking Bad that there is, uh, that there is a little more going on be- beneath the surface, but at that point, he's so committed to the character of Saul Goodman that you don't really get what's going on and then you see much more how you get from from point a to point b uh within uh, better call Saul, of course gene takovic because of course we, we've <laughs> talked a little bit about jimmy we've talked some bit about saul gene takovic is of course the the alter ego of uh of, of one jimmy mcgill saul goodman once he disappears you know he goes into nebraska and there was and there was a lot of like people wondering like why is he there? Is he there? Because that, of course, that's where Kim is from. You know, she's she's from Nebraska. A lot of mm-hmm. people were like, maybe she lives there. Maybe, you know, mm-hmm. they'll reunite. Because, of course, again, the hopeless romantic in me is they wind up together. Of course. You know, Peter Gould can fill in the rest, but they, they wind up together, you know. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's, again, it's this existence, this life of, like, this mundane sort of just, you know, yeah, you you wake up, you, you go to the Cinnabon, you make the Cinnabons. He has his sandwiches over on the bench and just, you know, over and over. And it's not until, you know, he gets recognized, you know, because, again, mm-hmm. he is also someone he is 
a criminal on the run. Like, mm-hmm. I, I myself forget that, like, oh, no, this all just happened. Like, you know, it's been, yes. it's been a few months, but, like, no, this all just happened in as much as, like, Breaking Bad ended and, like, they are looking for him because he is, you know, yeah. he is not one of the confirmed dead or, or captured and... So- um yeah, how, how did you sort of feel and about he's Gene? He's the only one who's left to get. Like the the the, the conversation that you see him have with Francesca, where she kind of explains, like she she nicely brings us up to date on everything that has happened, and we know that this is still this is only a few months later. It is still a very hot case, but that basically everyone has uh, either has been killed. Or you see, Skyler has made a deal. One assumes to to reveal the location of uh, the bodies of, of Hank and Steve Gomez, which was sort of presented as as an option for her at the end of Breaking Bad. And you see, the only one, like Jesse Pinkman, is obviously uh, he is nowhere to be found. But she mentions, you know, they found his car near the border, so it's assumed that he's fled the country. Um, and yeah, like basically, Saul is the only one who is left for law enforcement to really get and stick it to. They've been cheated out of every other opportunity to punish someone for this. So, yeah, he is still very much the focus. I think that that's something that I wasn't clear on at first when the series started, about how far in the future are we with Gene. And, but it makes sense when you think it's only, I think, I think it's about six, seven months uh, after the, the end of Breaking Bad, yeah, this would still be, he would still be the subject of an active manhunt. It's not something where, you know, this was several years ago, maybe people would remember, but it's it's not that big a deal to anyone anymore. Yeah, because even then, like, Gene, Ta- it's funny because, like, Gene Takovic doesn't look that much different from a Saul Goodman, you know, like, clearly at, like, the mustache, the glasses, the, uh, the haircut mm-hmm. a little bit, but, you know, like, when, when, uh, you know, uh, they eventually find out who he is. It's almost sort of one of the things where it's like, yeah, you line the three up and, you know, not, not that different. Like you watch those Saul Goodman commercials and, you know, uh, Marion was, uh, was, was her name played by, uh, uh, Oh God. It's a, the older woman who, who calls the police on him. Oh, Carol Burnett. Carol. Yeah. yeah. That was her name, right? Marion. Yes. Yeah. You know, it's like, of course, when she starts watching those commercials, it's like, oh, yes, this is 100%, you know, this is 100% you. And as much as he's like, oh, yeah, no, that guy kind of looks like me. It's like the disappearer maybe should have, you know, done a little bit more mm-hmm. or try to help a you a little more bit thought. more. Yeah, a little bit more thought into it. Yeah. In terms of being a, the, the vacuum cleaner salesman, um, in terms of him being uh good at his job has he considered shipping people out of the country because he sent walter to new hampshire he sent uh saul to nebraska and jesse to alaska like there are other countries and in theory if you want them to be safe and stay away from law enforcement getting them out of the country where the sub they're the subject of a nationwide manhunt seems like it would be a good idea so I don't know. Like maybe it's just uh, the, the, not everyone knows multiple uh, like permanent disappearance guys, but this one seems to be extremely local 
for someone who charges as much as he does. Yeah, no, that was the thing that I was thinking about as well, where I'm just like, not that far distance, Nebraska from uh, Albuquerque, you know, mm. like it's yeah. at, at least like a New Hampshire and Alaska. It's like, okay, that's far enough, but like not that far of a distance and also not that good at like a discuss, you know, a, a good backstory, you know, like, sure. You mm-hmm. work at a Cinnabon because who is going to sus- suspect the manager, the closing manager of a Cinnabon, you know, to be mm-hmm. this fugitive that's on, on the run from the law. Nobody. Yeah you know, but, um, people sometimes do look alike, but, uh, but yeah, that's, that struck me as awfully close. Like that's particularly when you look at sort of, you know, Walter, it's like you stay in the cabin, you don't come out of the cabin, you don't talk to anyone. And yes, I get it that obviously he is much more the focus. He is the, the one who is that much more, uh, getting that much more attention, but there's a big gap between, you know, I, I will never help you if you talk to anyone else. If you ever leave this property, you're you're no longer my problem. And go manage a Cinnabon in a mall in Omaha. There's like, it seems like you know a little bit more caution was maybe called for in in Solskis. And maybe the idea is he would he just didn't want to do it. Um, but yeah. He's yeah. clearly not thriving in this atmosphere. Yeah, like I can't imagine Jesse going up to Alaska and, you know, like uh, working at like a Hot Topic or something. You know, like it's I, – I don't no. necessarily think it's like that's something that he, he's going to be able to, to do. I, I feel like Jesse, you're probably the, you know, the the more reserved type to like, okay, I will, I will disappear. I will very much disappear the way, <laughs> you know – I just paid for, for this to be done. Um, but it is interesting though, sort of seeing Gene get back into Jimmy mode. You know, we see him start to come up with yeah. the cons again. We see the, the, the one scene where he's conning the, uh, or he's, you know, bringing the, the Cinnabons, the two, the two security guards over and over. That was mm-hmm. one of those where I was like, what is going on? Like, what are we doing here? What, what is the point? And then eventually, you know, it's like, well, he's watching the cameras. He's watching to see how long it takes them to watch the cameras. Mm-hmm. Um, Mm-hmm. as much fun as it was to sort of see him go back to those sort of ways i was happy that like they found him that they were like no we know who you are because now it's like all right now let's let's move on forward with like let's bring jimmy mcgill back into the swing of things mm-hmm. you know and you see him run into the garbage can run away from the police and you know when he's in jail like the fact that he his his phone call is you know to to the employees of the cinnabon they're like hey um you're gonna need a new manager like very much spoke to me at like he knows he's fucked he knows that there's nothing there's who is he gonna call he has no other lawyer like you know it's exactly again it's very unfortunate that you know he he sort of leaves these two girls high and dry and you know they got to figure it out but it's like that should be the last thing on your mind like i i understand Mm -hmm. you know you you sympathize with your coworkers because they're probably you know in their 20s anywhere between 16 to 20 and they don't even fucking understand the gravity of like what is going on but you know that was a very Mm -hmm. like sweet scene to me where it's like hey um can you just make sure the schedule is out uh oh also you need a new manager because you need a new manager yes uh, i think it's uh, what is the 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 last discussion he has with chuck it's chuck telling him why do you why do you bother trying to 
uh, act as if you're not the person who you are. And he, he is like, he is Jimmy McGill. That, that is the character that he is. That does drive him. Uh, Saul Goodman is an exaggerated take on some of Jimmy's characteristics, but ultimately I think it's, it's kind of said like, what does he get caught by? He gets caught by doing slipping Jimmy stuff by doing these sort of short term cons without a lot of without a, a great payoff, without, uh, without a, a sort of long-term future ahead of him. It's just trying to pull these quick scams. And that is what, what gets him caught after successfully escaping and establishing himself somewhat somewhere else. There's also this sense that I had where there's this, this sadness about the character where he's kind of addicted to this. He knows when he's made by uh, by Jeff, the, the, the cab driver who then like approaches him in the mall. He knows that he's been recognized. He knows that the right move is to call the vacuum cleaner salesman and get sent somewhere else like to, to leave immediately. But it's like he can't resist the idea that he can fix the problem. He's clever enough. He's capable enough that he'll be able to... Uh, to, to change things around. And also I think he, he recognizes quite rightly that this guy is kind of, you know, if he didn't, uh, if, if he was really turned off by him, if he thought he was a monster, he'd just turn him into the police. But this guy is kind of in awe of him. This guy Starstruck. thinks he's cool. Like, yeah, it's like, Oh, he, this guy looks up to me. It's like, I can kind of mentor him through being a, a scam artist. <laughs> and, uh, and so he just he falls back into that, and the the ego gets away from him. He loves the idea of having someone who admires him, and yeah, it's just that inability to resist uh, going going back and being slipping Jimmy again that ultimately brings him down. Well, on top of you know we we, we forgot to mention the uh, the phone call that he has with Kim, mm-hmm. you know, like before, like right after he presumably right after he talks with uh, Francesca, like calls Kim and you know for us as the viewer like that was one of those things where it's like oh okay she's alive because we didn't know like we Mm -hmm. didn't like there were so many like there are so many theories like one of the theories I saw floating around was like she was she became Gus's like lawyer and then she sort of Mm -hmm. disappeared when everything had like from everywhere all all the conspiracy theories but you Mm -hmm. know they have this conversation Mm -hmm. and you know, the first time we see this conversation from his perspective, like clearly it's not going his way. You know, he's screaming, he's angry, he kicks in the, the door and just upset. And then, you know, you know, when we see it from Kim's perspective, it's it again, mm-hmm. she is shook. This is a ghost from her past. She yeah. she knows that she shouldn't be talking to him. And with how mm-hmm. just casual he is, you know, like, oh, hey, what's up? And it's mm-hmm. like, n- you know, a, a call from an ex is never one that most people want. I know I wouldn't. Uh, I wouldn't want it if uh, they were on. If they were a fugitive on the run from the law because of what just went down in Albuquerque. You know. I think that um, it's interesting too that when you hear her side of the conversation, she's telling him, "You should turn yourself in. I don't know what kind of life you have, but it can't be much." It's almost like she is telling him turning himself in would be better than living this sort of 
drudgery, this sort of the kind of thing that he has going on in Omaha, but also the kind of thing that she has going on in Florida. It's basically she's telling him, "Hey, I've been doing I've been doing this sort of life for a while. You'd be better off if you turned yourself in. It'll go, you know. This is you know, this is the better option." And I think in the end, it does kind of seem like there's a there's some logic there. Yeah, it it felt a little bit. Yes, like she, you know, it was almost her sort of speaking aloud because these were things that she's felt, you know, like I'd like to think, it, you know, that she knew he was there, that she knew he was still around, that he was still alive, you know, because again, if there's anyone who knows Slippin' Jimmy, it's Kim Wexler. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. you know, we we see though eventually, you know, again, he, he he's making these deals with the government and when it's when it's known that now Kim is implicated in all this and she might be facing prison time, that to me was ultimately like the redemption, you know, because mm-hmm. he, again, could have walked away with seven and a half years, you know, maybe mm-hmm. less on, on, you know, with, with good behavior. And instead, you know, he he spills his guts about everything, you know, makes it so that he takes he takes full you know accountability for everything he is now facing i think they were like what 89 years in it was like yeah 86 86 86, years in prison for no reason other than i don't i don't want kim to think less of me i want her to you know i want to finally do the right thing i want to show her that i still love her i want to show her that i have changed that i've listened that i am you know i am a good person i am not going to you know, talk my way out of this one. This is him putting it all mm-hmm. out there. And, you know, it's like the government agents are like, no, 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 no. Let him keep speaking because the judge and poor Bill Oakley, you know, his, yeah. his associates just like, shut up, <laughs> shut up, stop talking. You know, and, and the government agents was like, no, 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 no. Why did I take this case? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, and then again, very beautiful at the end, you know, where she she comes and visits him in prison and, you know, they're, they're sharing that cigarette, very reminiscent of when they used to, you know, out in the parking lot. Mm-hmm. and When you first see them, yeah, downstairs in the parking lot at Hamlin McGill. Yeah, I I think that uh, it, it, it is very much the, it, it is a redemption arc for him. I think where I struggle a little bit is with that final episode where it's almost like the redemption arc is it's, it's almost too much. It's like for a story that has traded so much on subtlety and on being understated, there are, there are parts of the finale that seem to be a little too heavy handed for me. And I don't know, that's it. I don't know how you would have accomplished, uh, accomplished this, without going that route but it's yeah i'm i'm conflicted about the final episode where as i said i i very much like where they got with the ending i thought that some of the execution in that like it was just a little too perfect it was a little too scripted like the sort of the the repeated references to the time machine which is not something that had been introduced before like if this had been something if this had been somehow tied tied into an earlier element and i think there's a scene where you you see uh, someone maybe Chuck with a with a copy of the book earlier in the series, but it's not something that's discussed earlier. So, yeah, I have I love I I love the series. As I said, I'm very happy with the the point they got to at the end. I wasn't the 
this was not my favorite episode in the the series, the mm-hmm. the final one. I thought that, uh, yeah, I thought that there, and again, like I I think that because it got away from this incredibly skilled sort of, uh, I keep using the word subtle build and uh, this sort of uh, very cautious storytelling that I think. Yeah, it, it, it seemed to slip away from them just a little bit at the end there. I, I can definitely see that. You know, like it's I like I, I don't know how you felt about like the ending to Breaking Bad, but like a lot of people that like I always spoke to, like it was very divisive, you know, like a lot more mm-hmm. people I found did not like, myself included, the ending and you know, to breaking bad. And I again I think it's I think both sides of the argument are, are, are correct in that, you know, again, mm-hmm. art subjective, you're right. I'm right. Everyone's right. Um, yeah. and yeah. I feel like with this, it was a little bit more like, let's, 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 let's leave them all happy. You know, like let's let them, because again, mm-hmm. he, you know, again, he, clearly he's getting along in jail and this is, you know, a, a, he's comfortable. It's still 86 years. And, yeah. Even if he gets still all the rest of his life, like he's never going to breathe free air again. And, and you don't know what's going to happen to her. That again, the ambiguity is something that I like. Uh, I found uh, like you, I, um, I was not as high on the ending of breaking bad as some people were. And I think that it's just, it may just point to the difficulty in writing and ending to something that has been so good is very difficult because any ending is going to almost seem too neat in places. And that's why I think leaving a little bit of openness does help. Um, there is this tendency at the end of, of both series to feel that things are too carefully wrapped up. And when you do that, you make the the craft of the storytelling, the fact that it is written, uh, you make that more obvious. Like it, it becomes difficult to ignore the fact that this is fiction. Yeah, it's again. I, it, I, I, I am now rewatching Breaking Bad, and it is one that I, I am enjoying more, just based on like little, little characters, little mm-hmm. things here and there, you know, um, that are sort of just mentioned. But I think overall, like as a series, and again, it might just be recency bias, but I think I enjoy Better Call Saul more. And again, only because it's like I it. Because I did not, I, I did not think this was what we were gonna get. Like when they announced, like, "Hey, we're doing a spinoff series on you know the goofy lawyer character," I thought it would be I, honestly, I thought it would be like you know case of the week. You know, like here we have you know Billy Salamanca, the you know the the straight laced one, like or just something, and it just wanted to mean something more different. My concern was that it was just going to be like. Uh, a sort of an auxiliary piece of Breaking Bad. And it isn't. It does very much stand on its own. Yes, of course, you can appreciate uh, the a lot of elements of the series more when you know about Breaking Bad. I think there's clearly in the between the the in the mid-season break uh, of, of the the final season, Clearly, if you don't know what happens in Breaking Bad, you're going to be left with all sorts of questions about what happened to these <laughs> to all of these people. But it's not impossible to enjoy the rest of the show without knowing that. I mean, you're kind of filled in. Um, but I think 
Yeah, it's a hard question about which I like more. The the drama and the action in Breaking Bad is much more focused. It's it's a much more straightforward story in a way. Better Call Saul is much more is kind of more sprawling. You have more characters involved. There are more storylines there, and it's a much more complex universe than what you get in Breaking Bad, which is very much and yes, there are great uh, secondary characters, but it is first and foremost the story of Walt and then Jesse and Skyler uh, are are in their roles, particularly Walt and Jesse. But it is absolutely like it's the Walter White story and the people who are sort of in his immediate orbit. This is, I mean, it's called Better Call Saul and there are episodes where Saul doesn't even feature that heavily. Like where it's just, it's the Mike Ehrman Trout show or it's the Nacho Varga show. And uh, so it's a much more kind of diffuse approach to storytelling. I don't know which one I prefer, honestly. And I don't want to say, cause I know the second I choose one, I'm going to immediately mm-hmm. like kick myself. Well, I mean, I'm on my breaking, you know, on my breaking battery watch. So by the time, you know, mm-hmm. by the time I'm done with that, I might go, actually, you know, but again, <laughs> just, I, I think right now due to the recency bias. And again, I am a whole, where are you in breaking bad? I, um, they, it's season three, I believe. Um, the last episode I watched, uh, Walt just quit his job. And, uh, you know, there's the whole argument about like, we need to start cooking again. And he's like yelling at Jesse Mm -hmm. about like, this is an inferior product. And Hank is going through his existential crisis where he's like, he doesn't want to, he doesn't want to go down to El Paso, El Paso. And he's like, well, I have to find Mm -hmm. Heisenberg. I have to find Heisenberg, you know, like again, Mm -hmm. Hank, a character who showed up in this show for a bit. And I like, I forgot like he, how good of a character he is, you know, like I, I, I think it's it's uh, Hank and Marie are, are sort of they're easy to dismiss as a just the the irritating uh, opponents to to Walter or as sort of semi comedic characters because they both uh, they they both are kind of silly in mm-hmm. their ways and I think you you there is an incredible difficulty to playing a character like Hank because he is. Um, he he is flawed and he is sort of he he contains within himself the seeds of his own destruction his his inability to to work well with with people like the the way when he confronts skylar like how he he kind of scares her so much that she's like any chance he had of winning her over is just lost um where he is sympathetic and at the same time you're looking at him going like oh my god what an arsehole and yeah when he's going through that whole existential crisis like you said that there is this there's always this sense for him that he knows that he set himself on a very on on a bad path he knows something bad is going to happen but he he can't quite wrap his brain around it and there yeah there's almost like a fear of success too with him of of being a a small fish in a big pond um and you kind of see like he's not good at it when they when they put him in a in a sort of a higher up position yeah definitely as a as as a smaller scale dea agent great perfect Mm -hmm. at his job you know and again it is sad also because it's like oh buddy you know like if you would have just not picked up that fucking book 
you know, mm-hmm. you, you you would have still been around. It's it's again, okay. and, and that that is also one of the. What play- if you just held it for a couple of hours? If you just held it for a couple of hours, all of this would have been fun. You'd be happy. Now. Yes, yeah, that is also one of the fun things too. Is like knowing the fate of a lot of these characters, and you know, again, something like that where it's like, oh God, you know. Um, but as sort of as we sort of just wind down here, any sort of final thoughts? Any you know, any comments? Anything you you know you. Yeah, you want to throw out there before we head out of here? Uh, just if, obviously, I mean, if, if someone's listening to this this whole thing, uh, I'm I'm sure that they they've already uh, that the, they've already watched the series. I do highly recommend these are are ones that if you haven't already, uh, they bear rewatching uh, a lot, and that they're one of the the reasons why they function so well as series is because the creators, the the writers, the directors, producers have put so much effort into uh, into their attention for detail and to creating really uh, a world for these characters where there there's a lot of reward to paying close attention. And I really appreciate that. And um, yeah, so I've I've gotten a lot from rewatching Breaking Bad, and I've already you know watched the first couple of seasons of Better Call Saul a couple of times. So. Uh, yeah, Isn't it- thanks for letting me come on and uh, <laughs> and uh, go on about this. Clearly, something I uh, have a lot of affection for. It's funny, like us being wrestling fans, how 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 uh, foreign of a of a you know task it could be sometimes to reward your viewers for investing that much time mm-hmm. in watching. But no, of course, thank you for coming on here and talking with us. Like, it gets funny. Like we talked like prior before this, probably for good, like 10 minutes. And then it was like, Oh no, I yeah. hope, I hope we left enough or, uh, you know, to, to talk on air about it. Uh, you know, it's, it, this is, it's uh, again, it, they are series that, uh, you can discuss a lot and, uh, not sort of mind the depths of, uh, of everything there, there is to cover. Exactly. Uh, if anyone wants to hear more from you, though, Kate, where can they find you? Well, uh, you can. As I am, uh, it, it may be a bit of a, a weird shift from this, but I am she rants about wrestling on Twitter, which is at she rants MTL, as in Montreal. Uh, that's where I I sort of uh, do my my primary social media communication, and yeah, I, I cover uh, a lot of uh, wrestling, WWE, AEW, New Japan, indie stuff, whatever I happen to be watching on uh, on that particular day. But uh, yeah, and and occasionally I am talking about uh, things like Better Call Saul. Yeah, definitely. We'll we'll have to have you back on for one of these other episodes to talk about some maybe something shorter we'll talk about a movie or something like that. But yeah, again, you are someone who I I've enjoyed. The numerous times you you know you've uh, joined the the boys over at Post Wrestling, and so oh, I was like, one once I saw you that you know your Better Call Saul fandom was there. I was like, oh boy, if I know, if I if, if I yeah. know Kate, like, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'll, I'll have ideas. Yeah, I I do have opinions. Yeah, and uh, actually, if anyone uh, wants to uh, hear hear more from me for some reason, uh, I'm actually sort of filling in on Fridays for waiting while he's on his paternity leave this month uh uh on uh, rewind to smackdown on post on uh friday nights i'll be back i think next week is the the last week i'll be on well the, at least for for this run but i've been uh i've been sort of co-hosting with john throughout the month of august well make sure you guys tune in for that and uh, thank you guys all for listening uh for this week's episode of scrum semi video i've been scrump and i am kate 
and go go rewatch Breaking Bad and then watch Better Call Saul and tell us how smart and awesome we were with all our feedback. <laughs> Thank you guys. <laughs>